Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, supported by product partner 40 Thieves Nutbusters. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to sales coach Ian Cartwright. Ian has worked with sales teams in more than 20 countries across multiple industries and in roles from salesperson to founder and principal consultant. And he's just released his first book, The Six Fundamentals of Sales Know-How. Despite his father's advice that he was too honest to work in sales, Ian started as a sales engineer with Orcom Electronics in 1994, following a wide-ranging career during which he developed the model for sales growth that's the basis for his book. He completed a Bachelor of Applied Management, Sales and Marketing, and formed APE Consulting in 2016. Over the last five years as the principal consultant at APE, Ian has worked with local and international companies, helping them learn to grow sales by solving problems for their customers. He's formulated online courses and runs workshops to help remove the fear of sales for people and turning them into problem solvers. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thanks, Ben. Lovely to be here. So let's start off with with the elephant in the room. Um, You you know, we said in the introduction that you were too honest to work in sales. So why does sales have such a bad name? It's something I still come up against. It amazes me, really, because if you think about it, it is the oldest profession. And a lot of people don't realize that we do it every day. Even as a child, you are selling where you want to get to with your parents in terms of the next shiny thing you want to buy Mm. to them. Uh, And I think there's this image or understanding that sales people are disingenuous, that they've got big shiny teeth, shiny white shoes, and they come charging at you with a handshake like a jousting stick because they're (laughs) trying to sell you something that you don't want. And this is why... I find a lot of business owners that I work with, they all know they've got to do it, but they just have a real fear of it. So that's why we really focus, or I focus on helping them realize that whatever they're doing is solving a problem for someone. It's helping someone advance their business through whatever product or service you've got to them, regardless of whatever your product or service is. It's actually more about what you do for them. But what's, what do you think is behind the fear that people have about you know getting into sales, about, about doing sales activities? People are scared of having people say no to them. That's the biggest one. They don't like putting themselves out there. And particularly in New Zealand, we're so humble and we don't like to put ourselves out there that we're scared that someone's going to say no to us. And when you're approaching someone and prospecting, you know, they're not saying no to you personally. They can't be because they don't know you. And it's it's just one of those things. It's the fear of rejection. And it's a fear of saying something wrong in front of someone, of coming across as looking like a bit of a wally. It's all those personal things that people internalize about, oh, I don't want to because, because, because. And it's natural. Everybody does it. Everyone has that core reluctance. But it's a numbers game. The more you get into that, the more successful you'll be. But as soon as people start to get their head around the fact that they're a problem solver and what they're doing is finding a way to help someone, it does alleviate a lot of that fear. So facing a no is really common for salespeople, isn't it? So why um, why do you think it's important that they, they contextualise that and don't take it personally? Because you need to move on. You need to, um, it's a numbers game, isn't it? And there's a real cliche that every no is one step closer to a yes. Mm. If someone's saying no to you, doesn't necessarily mean they don't have a need for you. It means you may not have asked the question correctly. You may not have done enough work to actually understand what it is they're looking for. So it's around about understanding that you need to dig deep 
to get a bit of an understanding in your customer's language is the best way to go too. If you can start mm -hmm. to learn, you know, in your customer's world, you might be dealing with, I know someone working on a mining quarry, you need to start learning about what's happening in their world and what their processes are and what common terminology is. So that you can ask them meaningful questions in their language. So David Ogilvy, who set up an advertising agency in the UK post-World War II, he was one of the first advocates of, and it struck him that if you were going to advertise to people, then you should do it to them in their own language where they understand what it is in their terms. So if you can get to that point and you're asking people the right sort of questions in their language, you're more likely to get the answers which are more positive because you are building a rapport, getting the trust going and having some meaningful conversations. So you're still going to get no's, but the more you start to learn about your customer's world, the more you'll learn, the more you'll start to get yeses and there's a whole lot behind that too. You know, part of it is if you're prospecting is making sure that you are prospecting in the right places rather than just going scattergun where you're more likely to get lots of no's. So you've got to give yourself a reasonable chance of success. Well, let's 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 delve into that. Let's talk about you know your your tips for successful sales activity. So you know you've got a business owner who um, wants to wants to sell more. What are the steps that they should take to lead to a successful outcome? The first thing they have to really understand is what is it they do for their customers. What does their product or service really do for their customers? The analogy I use often is that of a sandwich. So if you and I go to the sandwich shop, we're not going to go there to buy the most attractive looking sandwich, bring it back, put it on our desk and look at it all day because it's attractive. You're going to the sandwich shop because you're hungry and that's your problem. So the sandwich shop solves your hunger problem with yes. the sandwich. And because you've then got that done, that means you're more productive for the rest of the afternoon. You can get other things done. So mm. it's really understanding that your customer is interested in progressing either their productivity or their profitability. So how does your product or service help them? And if mm. you can be really clear about that, this is first one of the fundamentals I've put together because you know, this sales and marketing works together. They're not two different things. They are intertwined. And if you have any business is going to have business goals. So to support the business strategy, they have to develop a marketing strategy to support that. Part of the marketing strategy is understanding what it is you do for your customers. Then you can identify who they are and mm -hmm. advertise to them in their language about how you're going to make their lives easier. Yes. Then the sales strategy has to support that. And that's the biggest thing for um, the ECME owners in particular to work with is having them realize that it's not actually about their product or service. It's what their customers can do with it and the difference they make to their customers' world with that product or service. And none of this is a dark art. Um, there's there's no one rule that says sales is a dark art and you know only certain people can do it. Everybody can do it. We all have to do it. It's just about understanding where to start and simplify it. One, one of the things that I have experienced in sales is um, a perception that salespeople are all extroverts and they're all outgoing and it's all about schmoozing. Talk to me about the process of sales within that. So you've worked out who, you know, what, what, what need you, your product meets, you've worked out who your customer is, then to actually achieve the sale itself. Talk about process. How, how should that look? Every organization needs a sales process, and that's that series of repeatable steps that your customer goes through as their buying journey. It's an interesting discussion, the one about extroverts and introverts. I listened to an uh, interesting podcast a few weeks ago about introverts and selling through Marcus mm. Cockey. Mm. And I actually find that people from a technical background who typically are a bit more introverted can be really successful in sales because they actually are closer to understanding what their customer really wants and what the challenges they face are and what their problems are. So part of it with the sales process is if you understand what it is that you do, so how you help your customers, mm -hmm. and if you understand who they really are, so where your target customers are, you know the sorts of problems that they're having. 
so you can approach them asking questions that you know are going to lead to uncovering a typical sort of a problem that they have which means you're on a path to success anyway because you're really interested and invested in how you can make your customer's life easier. So that doesn't take an extrovert or an introvert. Mm. It's either either or. You can just ask sensible questions. So the, the part of a sales process that I focus on is getting to the point where you can uncover that there is an issue, quantifying it, and working it out in that productivity or profitability space. So to the point where you got to uh, with your customer and said, oh, this is proven to be a real issue for me. Mm. Or so if, if you could solve that issue, what would it mean to you in terms of what you can do in a given day? And they say, oh, I could produce 20% more product in any given day. So what does 20% more product look like in terms of what you can do to your bottom line? So the productivity, 20%, that's cool. What does it mean to their bottom line? So when you get mm. to that point, you're reinforcing to them that she, well, they're articulating it for themselves. So their investment in your product is just that. It, then it becomes less about price and it's more about value. The way I like people to, to focus on in terms of that whole problem-solving mentality is that many people will be familiar with the four Ps, you know, the right price, right place, promotion, the typical yep. four Ps. The evolution of that that I really like is save, where instead of talking about a product, we're talking about a solution. Instead mm -hmm. of talking about promoting and those sorts of things, we're talking about access and the V is for value, and the E is for education. So mm. if people can reframe what they do mm. in, in that context, then, you know, in a, a webinar yesterday, and one of the questions that came back was that uh, in the sales process now, many of our buyers are further along the funnel or pipeline than they were before, and that's because they've got more access to information online than they ever had. Mm. But the, And so the question was, how much information do you give out online to your customers um, to the point where they really don't need you as a salesperson. And my response to that was that, well, actually, at some stage, they're going to need you. The point is to make sure that the that what you are putting out there educates, part of the save model, but yes. also making yourself accessible. So when you're putting content out there that you're giving value and you're, you're actually reflecting to the market that actually we are, we're really good at solving these sorts of problems. This is how we do it. And if you want to get in touch with us, discuss this anymore, here's the call to action. So the sales process side of it, if people can work out there, it's an old word, the sales playbook, but I think it's really true. Even with digital and social selling, it's still part of that. So right back to that foundational, right back to that foundational piece where we are understanding what we do so that we can formulate a series of questions for our target customers that we know are typically going to uncover the normal issues that they have, but then we can put it in their context and then we can start to quantify how we're going to make their lives easier. And then it's getting to a point where it really is clear there'll be a win-win. Applying a really good sales methodology under that. Because people still have to get away from not having a win-win. It has to be a win-win. Do you think that some of the bad perceptions of sales are, um, you know, that people are trying to sell a product that doesn't meet the customer's needs and therefore it's not, it's not a win-win? That has happened. Yeah, I think so, it is. And part of the strength of a really good sales professional is the ability of them to turn around and say, actually, you know what? We can't help you with this application at the moment. I think you need to go and talk to this person or we don't have a solution for you. Rather than trying to shoehorn something which will get them into their commission target for the quarter or whatever it is, that comes with it. I've, I've worked in organisations where at the end of a quarter, it was, okay, well, we need to do a run on how we can get some more revenue across the line. Let's sell some of our key distributors a bunch of product they don't really need at a discounted rate, which makes it look attractive to them so we can bump up our figures and we'll all feel good because our commission check looks good. Oh, yuck. 
and it's horrible, but it's good to have experienced it because then you know what bad behaviour looks like. Yes, yes. You know, we learn a lot from that. So, yeah, I think it is because, you know, you get the bad taste in your mouth and buyer's remorse if things haven't gone right. So it is powerful to be able to turn around and say, actually, no, it's not right for us at the moment because if you do it right and you've built that trust, they'll come back to you eventually. That's one of the elements. So if you take all that into one piece where you've got people who are feel like they're being sold to by schmoozy approaches, they've mm. had experiences in the past where they've had um, poor service from salespeople. I was with a, a, a gentleman two weeks ago and he actually had a person in his house trying to sell him insurance and it wasn't going the way he wanted it and the, the person that I was, who I know turned around to them and said, look, I just want to have a bit more time to think about it. And the insurance sales guy, and this is nothing against insurance sales guys, but this is just a genuine example that I heard two weeks ago, I can believe it, turned around and said, look, I've spent two hours here. You have to say yes. You're my last appointment of the day. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I couldn't believe it. And I'm thinking, this is what happens. That gets replicated yeah. as an anecdote through so many people and they think, oh, a typical salesperson. Nothing builds trust and rapport like desperation, hey? Yeah, they call it, you can smell sales breath. <laughs> so so hence the focus on problem solvers. Okay, I get I get yeah. it. I get it. Yeah, get and it. it's a lot more fun. I mean, I'm not a salesperson. I was an electrical draftsman. I just fell into it. And I, what spun my wheels was solving people's problems. And you get to see so many different industries and you make a, a difference to the economy. You've you've said a couple of things that I'm keen to understand a bit more. You were talking before about, you know, that you said that sales is a numbers game and you spoke also about digital uh, sales and social selling. So can you talk to me about how um, technology plays a role these days in, in the sales funnel? It's that education piece and LinkedIn used properly is really strong, but all your socials are. To my clients, I tell them that when you, or I tell them, that sounds wrong, I advise them that uh, you, any prospective customer is going to come and check out your website and your socials, and they want to go and see themselves reflected. They want to see people like them who have used your services and had a good experience. Mm -hmm. So you need you need to talk to them. So that's part of the attraction piece through the, the work that you do every day. So the basic numbers game still holds. My first role in Orcom, and I remember it clearly, when we started setting sales targets, I had to make 12 phone calls a day and have four face-to-face -face meetings. Yeah, yeah. Now, it still is numbers. You've got to do that work. There's no point sending out an email to a prospective client and saying, oh, look, I wanted, I think we'd be a good fit. I'd like to do some work with you. We might be able to help you. When's a good time to call? Mm -hmm. And then, because they haven't called you back, surprisingly, sending them another email a week later saying, just checking out my previous email to see that you got it. When's a good time to call? Mm -hmm. And I've even had instances where people have done that three times and wonder why they don't get a phone call. You've still got to pick up the phone and talk to people. Mm -hmm. But part of that too is, even the, in the most basic level, is establishing your own brand presence because it is about relationships and you have to own your personal brand and build it, which I've learned a lot recently in the last few months. But there is value in it because people, whenever they get to the point where they want to get further down that funnel and start picking up the phone and talking to the person they want to buy from, they need to know who they want to get hold of and why they want to get hold of them and having built that trust. So digital and social selling has got a lot to do with it. People poo-hoo, for want of a better term, being on LinkedIn, but it depends on how you use it. And there's a lot of good advice out there. And I get a lot of um, leads and good business through LinkedIn, mm. and many people do. So it's about making sure that the content you share educates and informs. And by doing that, you are leveraging your own personal brand as well. I've, I've experienced that as well. LinkedIn, um, I've, I found it to be a really good good channel as well. But I think people are a bit afraid of putting themselves out there, like you said earlier. Maybe that's the reason why they can be quite negative about it. 
Yeah, and that's the same as getting a rejection because it's like I'm going to put myself up there and unfortunately mm. we always have those keyboard warriors who are going to climb in. Yep. But in, if you're in sales anyway, you have to sort of develop that thick skin. So mm. those key traits of resilience and tenacity and it's just, but to me, it's like sport. You know, you put yourself out there on the sporting field you've got to get out there and it's get across the line. It's And I align that strategies between business and sports a lot that it is, that's why coaching comes into play and having a sales playbook so that you know what point of the process you're in and what things you need to do is no different to a sporting parlance where the, the rugby teams, what do we do if we've got a, a line out, an attacking line out in the opposition 22? We have a playbook for that. So what do you do when you've just sent an email to a client and you're not sure how to follow it up? Well, inside your organisation, you need to have a playbook for that. And that comes back, yeah, and that comes back to, we spoke at the outset of this, Ben, with small business owners and maybe founders who are trying to work out how they start processing things and putting sales in place in their business. And often it is downloading the founder. You know, you do this, you do sales in your business organically because of what you know. Mm. We need to get that down and make it into a process. And it's just bite-sized chunks, none of it of which is difficult. It's just doing it and having a plan. So if you look back at your own career, um, is there a particular sales achievement that you're really proud of, something that you look back on and think, yeah, that was, I nailed that? The ones I get right now is when I get a business owner and put a smile on their face because they get it. So that's mm. a little micro one. But And then I guess to be, you know, being able to have written a book which binds together all the things that I've done uh, I think is pretty cool scary as all heck to start with because you're sitting there thinking well who are you and what have you got to write and who wants to read it anyway yeah wow <laughs> so that's the whole and I've dealt with that a lot the same with anybody in sales is that uh, heck I sold that how, how did I manage to do that how did yeah, I get to yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you worry about that but the one I'm most proud of I guess and it really became the piece of work over three years that made me realise I might be onto something was I was when I'd moved from Orcom to to Danfoss and we were working in the South Island and I was appointed South Island Regional Manager and we went we tripled our turnover in three years wow. and, and became the market leader and that was purely through just mapping out um, breaking down the South Island into regions, breaking the regions down into industries and breaking the industries down into customers and then understanding for each customer what their buying chain was and then finding a way to make sure that we were looking after our existing customers really well, which is the best place to start when you're growing business. We can get onto that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But the second part was identifying some key competitor targets and putting plans in place to get them over the line, which we did. And it was a form of guerrilla marketing because we never really promoted too much about what we were doing. We just got out there and got in front of people, did the right things, whether they were you know, sausage roll and beer, presentations or they were sitting down more formally with consultants, all of those things. And by the time the opposition had worked out what was going on, it had already happened because, awesome. you know, they'd had, had the demand. And so I learned a lot of experiential learning at that point that actually, you know, there's a way of doing this. And a lot of it is just done by not being salesy. It's just being real. It's my three guiding principles for people are be you, be real, and be a problem solver. But really systematic as well, though. I mean, having having a really clear plan of who you're going after and how, and then you know holding each other accountable to that. That's that's essential, right? It is, and a lot of business owners that will come to me and say, right, we need to go and grow some new business. I need to go and see where I can get some big wins. Mm. You start with what you've got, polish what you've got, 
too many businesses perhaps don't really understand where their money's coming from. So if you can sit down and run a ruler over the, the sales figures for the last two or three years and look, okay, who are my top clients? Who are my customers that have grown and do I know why? Mm. Who are the ones that have tailed off and do I know why? And if you don't know why, then you need to find out and really start to put some plans in place to really love and look after the existing clients you've got for two or three key reasons. One is you don't want to lose them. You've already got them. You've got existing relationships. You can look for opportunities to sell them products that you're not already, that you hadn't perhaps realized that they had a need for. You can use them to grow your referral network. So it's not that difficult to say to a really good customer, look, we've done some great work together. Ben, who else do you think I should be talking to? Mm. And just get a referral that way. And then you can also develop your case studies. Uh, and it's a real simple sandwich format that I encourage people to use for case studies. It's like the first piece of bread is one, you know, one line of a description of the problem the customer had. Then your meat in the sandwich is a couple of lines of a description of what you did to help them with that problem. Then the last piece of bread is a, a single line which puts it into context in terms of the business impact. So if you use your good customers to develop really simple case studies like that, you can put them in your toolbox as anecdotes to roll out in front of prospects when you're talking to them next time. So really polishing your existing customer base allows you to maximize your current sales, identify where you do well so you can replicate it, build low cost, repeatable marketing collateral, and really just become part of the industry you're playing in. And you said earlier that people like to see that you know companies like them have bought from you as well. So, you know, surely that's going to help you attract like-minded clients. There's a statistic on HubSpot which says that 90% of B2B referrals are instantly trusted. Right. And 70% of them convert. Wow. Wow. That's a conversion rate people would be pretty happy with. So if you get if you know if someone comes to me that I know really well and says to me, oh. I've been dealing with this company, I've spoken to them, I think you should have a chat with them. Getting the first meeting is really easy and people are more open and it's just the way it works, particularly in New Zealand. Yeah. But, yeah. but anywhere, but anywhere. you just got to be aware of the cultural nuances. So talk, talking about culture, one of the things um, I'd like to discuss with you is, is what is best to be in-house and what's best to be outsourced because, you know, sales, culture um, can be part of a business or it can be outsourced. So what, what are your views on how people should approach that. I think you should build your sales force and your sales culture internally because it needs to be repeatable. Playbooks are really important for the new team member coming in so that they can just be given it initially with some guidance, say, look, this is how we do sales inside our organization. This is the way we do it, which means that they can actually start to follow the way. There needs to be a way that they do it. What I think should be outsourced and I'm not just saying it because that's where I'm focused, is the coaching. And it's not just the coaching for the team, it's the coaching for the sales manager. It's so demanding on sales managers these days, the amount of reporting they need to do and the numbers they need to feed back up the chart. Mm -hmm. When you get into a corporate, the further up the ladder you get, the more it becomes more about the numbers and less about the customer, Yes, which sort of grinds my gears a bit. So, But the advantage of having external coaching is that, A, the sales manager's got someone that they can talk to who is not in the organization and provides a level of objectivity and fresh eyes and provides a sounding board. A lot of the value of having an advisor or a coach is having someone to sit down who's not going to judge you, but is going to listen and just provide those nuggets, even venting. <laughs> it's a great thing for many, many of my customers. They just like to sit down. It's almost like, here's your coffee on your mates, get set, go. <laughs> 
and then we'll then we'll sort of unpack it and see where we can perhaps make some things, suggest some changes and make life easier. So I think building a really strong sales culture is, is really important internally because it means that your customers get to see a consistency of service. There's nothing worse in an organisation where the person you've been dealing with goes on leave and it all falls apart. Yeah, yeah. So they would keep the culture and the main team members doing the day-to-day stuff in-house, but look for coaching that's external, that's objective, got a fresh set of eyes and got experiences from many other organisations that they can allow you to learn off. What, what about the rest of the business outside the sales team? Because you said earlier that, you know, we're all in sales. So so for a truly successful sales culture in a business, how should business owners be thinking about that? Internal sharing. So it's uh, within peers, you know, peer groups. I always think that the sales person in a given role is really like the internal team project manager. And it's up to them to share to everybody with us in the team. Mm. What difference what we're doing here is going to make to the client? So it's not about the piece of kit that Joe Blow on the manufacturing line is you know, rushing to get out the door at five o'clock just because someone's told it. Mm. Allow that, that member of the team to understand where it's going, what the context is, what difference it's going to make so they feel like they're contributing to a greater thing. There's that story that we often hear, and this still conjecture whether it's true or not, about JFK walking around the space center in Houston and he comes across the janitor mopping the floor and JFK said to the janitor what do you do here and the janitor turned and said well Mr President I'm helping to put a man on the moon <laughs> yeah yeah I know that one yeah so everybody's in sales mm. I have had people in recent organizations that turn around and say I'm just in logistics I'm not in sales actually you're a really key part of it and the person the last link in the chain in the sales team for your organization is the company that delivers the product to your customer. Now, that could be a courier, but that's part of the impression. So everyone has a role to play. And at the end of the day, the thing to really remember is that no matter where you are in an organisation, your customers pay your wages. Yeah, yeah, very, very good point. Um, you've worked with big companies, you've worked with small companies. What what do you know? the big ones know that the small ones don't, or vice versa, when it comes to growing sales? I think the big companies understand scale and investment. The challenge for them is putting it in the right places and giving it a time to run out in terms of the way that it's it's rolled out across an organisation. Smaller companies and the bigger companies understand less about customer culture and what their customers really need, the empathy quotient. Smaller companies tend to have it the other way around. They are really close to their customers and they have got a lot of empathy for them, but they don't understand how they can go to the next step so much if they do scale. Right, right. And, and sorry, if they do scale and invest in sales coaching and training because they still can see it as a cost where it's not, it's an investment. Because investing in putting together a good sales process and the coaching to implement it will mean that you are able to go prospecting in more fertile areas, we've got a greater chance of converting. It means that you will increase your conversion rate, which means that you will get more sales across the line for less impact, which then can be invested back in the, the company and away you go. Ian, there have been so many tips and pieces of advice in this in this conversation. I can't believe it. Uh, your book's called The Six Fundamentals of Sales Know-How. I'm sure you've given us more than six. Where can people buy themselves a copy? They go straight to my website, iancartwright.co.nz. Uh, they can go straight to the buy the book section and it's written in a practical manner. So the six fundamentals, each fundamental was uh, layered with examples, anecdotes from my career, which have been good and bad. 
and then we because <laughs> we all learn from mistakes so i've been quite totally. open with some of those uh and then within that there are a series of practical exercises which allow them the reader to go through and apply that fundamental to their own world and there's some downloadable editable pdfs in the resources section of my website which allow them to put together things like key account plans and contact matrices and um doing some white space analysis and those sorts of things so Awesome. So uh, that yeah, web address yeah. one more time. So just go straight to iancartwright.co.nz. Uh, it'll soon be on Amazon, but you can get it from there. And there's an e-book coming as well. Brilliant. Ian, thanks for a fantastic discussion. Um, look, we're going to, just to end our time today, um, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all guests, which is what would be the single piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners? Um, something that they can go in action tomorrow. Polish what you've got. Get out there, understand your existing customers as well as you can and be objective about it. Categorize them, make sure you know who your gold ones are and start loving them. Fantastic, Ian, thanks for your time. Thanks Ben, been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. Thanks to our friends at 40 Thieves Nut Butters, listeners to the podcast can get a 20% discount when purchasing online. Just go to 40thieves.co.nz and use the promo code INSIDER20. See you next time.